Well, it is good to have all of you here today. Uh, God is good, is he not? Uh, And it is good to worship him together. We are not just some random group of people that happen to show up at an elementary school gymnasium this morning. Uh, I hope you didn't come expecting to play dodgeball today. Uh, We might do that later, but right now uh, we are here to worship the living God and there is nothing better. Amen? Amen? Amen. Well, if you're just getting caught up uh, today, we have been in uh, this Bible reading campaign with all of our campuses at Lutheran Church Hope called The Story. And uh, band's playing for me here. Um, and uh, we're traveling through 31 of the most powerful stories of the Bible and learning these, these pretty powerful truths about who God is. And we want to be encouraging you not to just read this here on Sundays, but to be diving into it during the week and learning to listen from God, listen to God and, and hear his voice. Now, one of the challenging things about that in our culture is that there's often so much clutter and noise that surrounds us that makes it difficult to just find time and space to hear from God. And what starts out as being a really simple thing of just sitting down and, and, and listening to God and, and, and being in prayer or scripture or experiencing hearing him from other people, Little by little, without even knowing it, all the other voices and all the other sounds of the world just get really, really loud and can round out your voice and all of a sudden you can't hear God. You can't hear what he's saying. That is until you just say, stop! Give our noisemakers a round of applause up here this morning. I always wanted to just yell at them, just to scream on it. That's not true. You know, I love you guys a lot, but that was terrible in a good way. They're really good at making noise. But how true is it that little by little, the noise of our lives can creep in? Uh, I heard of a guy named Bernie Krause, and he's not Weekend at Bernie's Bernie. He's a different Bernie. Uh, Bernie Krause is a guy that uh, he actually records nature sounds. He records sounds of of being outside on uninterrupted natural sounds. You know when you go to a movie and you hear sounds, those aren't actually happening on set. They've pre-recorded them and then lay them over the video, right? So he's in charge of doing that for films. And so he's an older guy, and so he was doing this back in uh, the 60s. And so he wrote, and I discovered that in order to get one hour of completely uninterrupted Noise. So he would take these different uh, rec- you know, recording hours and then kind of splice them together to get one hour of, of natural, pure sound. To get one hour, it would take him 15 hours of recording time. And you might think, wow, that's a lot. That's crazy. That's really noisy. Well, he's still doing it. And he said that today, that it would take him, in order to get the same one hour of uninterrupted time, uninterrupted uh, sound, natural sound, it would take him 2,000 hours of recording time. That's how much he had to have in order to splice them together to just get one hour of natural sound. No cars, no airplanes, nobody honking at each other, nobody yelling at each other, no dogs barking, none of that. Noise is everywhere. It surrounds us. And I think if we went around the room today, I don't doubt that there is anybody here that would say, I don't really want to hear from God, right? If I said today you had the opportunity to hear from the God of the universe that he wanted to speak to you, would you want to experience that? Absolutely. 
I don't think any of us would say, nah, I think I got better things to do, right? But oftentimes, the way we live our lives doesn't line up with that. And so today, as we continue our journey through the story, the smaller story that we're going to experience today talks to just that, and that one of the most important things that we can do as followers of Jesus is learn to hear from him, is to learn to hear his voice. And if you've ever doubted that God still speaks, and that maybe, just maybe, he wants to speak to you, then maybe today's story has something to say very personally to you. So let's start out in our story today on page 131. If you would turn with me there together. We're in chapter 10 now called Standing Tall, Falling Hard. And we're going to discover the power of listening and the power of clearing out some clutter in our lives. To set you up uh, on the story here, if you're in the Abundant Life Bible, uh, we're also in 1 Samuel chapter 3, at the very beginning of the chapter. 1 Samuel chapter 3. God's people have come out of Egypt and they've gone on their long journey and now they're living in the promised land. While they're in the promised land, they set up this temple or this tabernacle which houses the Ark of the Covenant, which they, which they believe uh, has God's presence there in a very special way. Now, to watch over the temple and to make sure all the worship and all the sacrifices are going well, there's these guys known as the priests. So this is where we get the name priest. If you say, oh, he's a pastor, he's a priest, this is where we get that. It's from the original tribes of Israel. And so there's these certain guys called the priests, and they're in charge of listening to God, being intercessors on behalf of the people, and then relaying that So their job is to pray to God on behalf of the people and then listen for what God wants to speak and then relay that back to the people that they're leading. One of these priests' name was Eli. And sometimes I like to have a little fun with the Bible stories. And I don't know, have anybody of you ever seen the Lord of the Rings trilogies? You know Gandalf, right? Kind of the old guy with the staff and the beard. That's kind of what I imagine Eli looking, right? He's just a wide old, wise old sage. He's a, he's a pretty good looking guy. And, but he's getting up in years. And so he needs to start mentoring and pouring into the next generation. And that's what happens. He's got this young boy named Samuel living with him. If you want to learn the backstory of Samuel, it's pretty incredible Uh, His mom, Hannah, basically uh, waited her whole life for a son, and then because God provided her a son, she gave Samuel and dedicated him back to the Lord. And he's lived in the temple his whole life. Can you imagine growing up living in a church building? That might be kind of strange, huh? I was a pastor's kid. I know what that's like, right? right? But that's what Samuel did. And he grew up learning from Eli how to listen to God. And that's where we pick up the story here. Uh, It's verse 2 of chapter 3, or we're on the bottom of page 131 if you're in the story. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, remember he's getting older, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called to Samuel. Now Samuel's the, the little boy. Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, here I am. And he ran into Eli and said, here I am. You called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So we went and lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am. You called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. 
Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A third time the Lord called, Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. (laughs) So let's just stop the story there for a second. It's really rather humorous if you think about it. I mean, it's pretty serious that God's trying to get Samuel's attention. But think about this for a second. Over and over, three times, Samuel thinks it's Eli calling him, and he goes and wakes him up. Now, if I'm Samuel, I'm probably getting pretty frustrated that this old guy next door keeps calling my name and keeps waking me up. Like, what do you want, old man, right? Do you need some Tylenol? Do you need a Kleenex, glass of water? Like, why do you keep calling me, right? So if I'm Samuel, I'm getting a little frustrated. And if I'm Eli, I'm getting a little frustrated too because I'm an older guy and I need my sleep and you keep coming and waking me up. And if I'm Eli, if you're Eli, probably your my natural reaction would be just like, Gee whiz, kid, can you give me a break? Go go back to bed, right? You're probably just having a nightmare. Leave me alone. But that's not what Eli does. Instead of telling him to just, oh, just ignore the voice, he says, go back. And we pick up the story in verse 8. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, go lie down, and if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling as all the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. Let's say that together up on the screens. Speak, for your servant is listening. That's a pretty powerful statement. You ever heard the phrase, be careful what you wish for, or be careful what you ask for because you just might get it? That's certainly the case when it comes to us seeking God. He so desperately wants to communicate with us that for somebody to come back and say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening, God says, okay, I'll take you up on that. But I want you to notice what Eli is teaching Samuel. Eli doesn't send Samuel back and say, whoever this strange voice is, tell him to just shut up or be quiet or move on or leave me alone. Eli knows it's the Lord, and Eli is teaching Samuel a way of approaching God, almost a posture of the heart, a way of approaching God that is open and eager, and receptive. What's your posture towards God today? And I don't just mean your physical posture. I mean, that's important too. But what's your heart posture towards God? When you think about posture, we think about it in a, in a physical sense, right? I, I have terrible posture. Everybody just sit up for me really quick. We're just going to do a little activity here. I'm just going to force you to sit up, okay? I know the chairs are kind of cushiony and they make you slouch, right? Everybody just kind of sit up nice and straight. It's good posture day here at Hope Des Moines, okay? Now, if I look out, and I'm, and I'm speaking to you, if I'm preaching to you, and I look out and I see a crowd like this, how do you think that makes me feel? Pretty good, right? Right? What are you communicating to me by your posture? You have good posture, right? That is good, yes. You're communicating that you're attentive, that you're hopefully eager to learn, like you are every week, right? That you're fully present, that you're engaged with what's going on. So if we can have a posture in an outward sense, what would it look like to have that kind of posture 
in your heart towards God. Because what you're communicating to me on the outside communicates a lot of what's going on in your heart. If I looked out and, and somebody's like this or sleeping, which we have at the 915 service, which is great, uh, they're in the back, you know, if they're sleeping, they're probably not attentive, right? But you would never do that, I know. But you communicate a lot by your non-verbals. We can learn a lot about what's going on in here by what's going on out here. Now, I learned a lot about this, and I got a front row seat to this this past week. I was out at our West Des Moines campus teaching Power Life, which is our confirmation program for kids. And uh, there's sixth graders, seventh graders, and eighth graders, all three grades, and it's, the program's grown so much that they've had to divide them up. And so I speak three times. I do a talk for the sixth graders, then the seventh, and then the eighth. And I noticed a lot of interesting things uh, hanging out with 850 junior high kids for the night. Number one, some interesting smells. Number two, some interesting sounds. And what you may not think, some interesting postures and the differences in how those postures shift from sixth to seventh to eighth grade. For example, so you're all sitting there in the worship center and you're all the adult chaperones and you're sitting there waiting. And I'm hanging out in the back and here's the difference. You've got the sixth graders and it's like, 25 minutes before they're even supposed to be there, okay? And here's the best way that I can describe being a sixth grade confirmation student. Woo! 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 I'm here early! I got my Bible! Do you got yours? Look, I got an awesome Bible cover! Yeah, mine's cooler than yours! Oh, come on, everybody! Let's get in the front row! I can't wait to hear what the pastor says! Woo! That's sixth grade, okay? The posture of the heart is bing, right? That's the best way I can describe a sixth grader, okay? Then we get to seventh grade, okay? They're still pretty excited. They still got the woo in them a little bit, okay? But the seventh graders, now they're a little bit more cooler, right? They're growing up. So seventh graders are like this. They, they, they want to be excited. That is until this happens. So they're coming in, woo, I've got my Bible, woo, woo, there's a cute boy. Do you like my Bible cover? And they kind of get excited. So the, the woo turns into woo, right? And kind of start to notice each other a little bit, okay? That's seventh grade. Then we get to eighth grade, okay? I need my Bible again. So eighth graders are kind of coming in the back, and they're in their tribes, right? Because when you're eighth grade, you never travel alone. You travel in a pack, okay? Even the dudes. I'm not just talking about the ladies going to the bathroom together. I'm talking about the dudes as well. Everybody's in a pack. Everybody's in a tribe. And here's the eighth graders, Power life, man. What a drag. Man. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, preacher dude. I didn't even see that it was past time. I guess we'll come up, man. Whatever. All right. Whatever you have to say to us, preacher dude, that's fine. I'm here, right? Such a total difference, right? Those of you that have junior high kids, you know what I'm talking about, right? Just this amazing shift in posture from 6th to 7th to 8th grade. And it's just amazing me. And I wonder, how did we go from woo to whatever? In three years, the posture, their physical posture, yes, but their heart posture changed so much in three years. I wonder, what's it like for us as adults? When did you lose the joy? 
of sharing your Bible cover with somebody else. I'm not saying you have to do that, but where did that go? When did you lose the woo? When did going to church become what you do instead of, I can't wait to be the church? When did, I have to go to worship become the phrase instead of, I get to go see my family? When did that shift for you? When did the posture of your heart change from I'm here and I'm fully a present God to maybe for you today, I'm here, but I'm not going to get too excited. <laughs> After all, it's just church. Or I'm here, God, I'm, I'm present, good posture, and I'll worship and I'll go through the motions, but God, you, you better not tell me what to do. Because you can speak into this area and this area and this area and this area of my life, but when it comes to this one little sensitive, touchy area, hands off. I don't, I don't want you to talk to me about my finances. <laughs> I'd rather keep my marriage off limits. <laughs> I don't want you to talk to me about my dating life or my relationships. I'd rather just keep my hobbies and my priorities to myself. Because God, you wouldn't have anything to say about any of that stuff, Right? And God says, oh, yes, I do. I created you, and I know everything about you. When did your posture shift? Because the question becomes, when God speaks, how do we respond? Are you fully present? Is the posture of your heart woo, or is it whatever today? So that leads us to the next question. When God speaks, what will our response be like? And that's where we pick up the story. We're going to be in verse 11. Pick up the story with Eli and Samuel. Remember, God is just getting ready to speak to Samuel. He said, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Eighth grader, ruined my Bible. Okay, so here we go. Then... uh, Samuel said, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed from God, and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Yikes, right? That's pretty strong. (laughs) This was a nice little Bible Sunday school story going along, and all of a sudden, God's like, I'm going to smite you. Like, where did this come from, right? So if you're the little boy Samuel, and this is the first time that you've heard God's voice, you're so excited because he might talk about rainbows or butterflies or popsicles or something, right? And what does God say? Oh yeah, the guy that's been your spiritual mentor your entire life, he sinned horribly and he never repented. And you're going to be the one to confront him on it. What? If I'm Samuel, I'm saying, come on God, couldn't I have got a, if you're going to say anything to me, couldn't have been like a Hey, good job, Sammy, old boy. Or, hey, tell Eli hi for me. Or, tell Eli thanks for all the burnt offerings the last 50 years. They smelled really good, right? Like, can't I get a little love here, God? It's just a side note. 
God takes our sin very seriously. One of the many things I hope you're seeing through the Old Testament, God is not a pushover. And if you think that God's just kind of your buddy, he says, I don't, I don't want to be your buddy. I don't want to be your homeboy. <laughs> God says, I want to be your God. I want to be your God. God says, I take your sin very seriously, and I take it so seriously that I was willing to die for it. But he's doing a heart check, a posture check for Eli. Eli's heart was open, but there was a part of his life, a piece of the pie of his life where he just wouldn't let God in, and it was his past. And so Samuel has to confront him. And so we pick up the story, uh, the bottom of page uh, 132, or, um, yeah, bottom of 132. So Samuel lays down into the morning, and then he gets up, and Samuel answered, here I am. What was it that he said to you, Eli asked? Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. So you can imagine Samuel, his legs are shaking. He's this little boy staring up at this Gandalf character, right, with his big staff, right? He's like, what did the Lord say to you, young child? And Samuel's like, uh, you have unrepentant sin in your life, right? Kind of scary. But he does it. Continuing on, so Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, here he, or excuse me, he is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. Eli needed a posture check, and he got one. Now, if you just, let me ask you this. In your life, if somebody just confronted you and exposed your deepest, darkest sin, how do you think you would react? Pfft, you've got the wrong person. I don't know what you're talking about. You know what? oh, that, it really wasn't that bad, you know? That was a long time ago. God, can't you just kind of look the other way? Never, never does God look the other way. Never can we trick God. Can we outrun God? Can we just shove our sin under the rug and say, oh, he'll never find it? Everything in the end gets exposed. And that's what God's doing here. He wants to expose this in Eli's life so he can bring healing and forgiveness. But that's just not how we do it. I don't know what you're like when you get confronted with something in your life, but for me, I go right to defensiveness. And those of you that are married, you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> a peddly little argument can all of a sudden turn into this shouting match of who's right and who's wrong. But is that what Eli does when he's confronted? No, and here's why. He spent his whole life being with God. And of the many things I'm sure he learned, you never argue with God about who's right and who's wrong. And so Eli's posture is open. Remember we talked last week about God wants to cultivate our heart and make our heart soft and receptive and moldable? That's what Eli had done. And now you might ask, okay, that's great for Eli, but him and Samuel, they can hear from God really clearly because they live in a church, for pity's sakes. They live in the temple where it's quiet and where it's peaceful. What about me? I live in Des Moines. It's noisy, right? That's just the reality of our lives, right? We live in the city, and it can be busy, and it can be noisy. 
And for some of you, depending on the circumstances of your life, you might say, I live in a zoo. My life is a complete zoo, and I can't go anywhere without there being noise and clutter. Now, we may not be like Eli and Samuel and have a place where we can go to and and hang out with the Ark of the Covenant. But God also promises us in the book of Acts, he will pour out his spirit on all people. And he says at the end of Matthew, I will be with you, with you, present with you, just as close, if not closer to you, inside of you, than I was with them in the temple with the Ark of the Covenant. I am with you wherever. So my challenge to you today is simply this. Turn off the noise. Yeah, our lives are busy and crazy. So step number one, turn off the noise. I don't doubt there's any of us that, 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 that we, we doubt that God wants to speak, but I think the issue is sometimes that our lives aren't conducive to hearing from him. Some of you today might have a big decision that you need to make. And you desperately need direction or guidance from God. But as you look around your life, there's no margin. There's no gaps. There's no spaces that even if you said, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening, where would he speak? There's no room. Take a look at this short video and see if you can identify Maybe, just maybe, you can identify. Sometimes we go from one thing to the next. And some of you might be on the other end. You might be thinking, come on, lady. It's pretty obvious, right? There's a reason you can't hear from God. It's because there's always noise in your life. Get it together. But if we're not careful, I think we live in a very similar way. So the answer to you having a more life-giving relationship with God today might not be adding one more thing that you can do for him. It might be asking God, what do you want me to remove? (laughs) What are some of those things in my life that are causing noise and clutter and distraction that I don't have to do? It's not, God, what's one more thing I can do for you? God says it's never been about what you can do for me. It's always been about what I've done for you. Do you know how to be with me, God says, or do you just know how to do for me? Huge question. Even if it's just for short periods of time, my question to you as you go into this next week, where will you find time to be still? Let's just get really practical for a second. I don't know what it might be for you. I'm just shooting from the hip here. Maybe it's a shower in the morning, right? Maybe it's the bathroom. Maybe it's getting to work 10 minutes early and just being. Maybe it's going to that private place at work, wherever that is, or locking yourself in your room at home if you, if you live and work at home. Where is it that you can get still? Even if it's just for five or 10 minutes at a time to stop, to breathe, to let God remind you of who you are and why you are doing what you're doing. Huge difference. The old church fathers, they would call this the daily office. The daily office. Where they would pause and it was this spiritual discipline where they would stop at various points no matter what was going on their day. Even if it was just at their desk and they would pause and they would say, God be with me. You don't have to read scripture. You don't have to open up your Bible. Just say, God speak. 
Bring your peace. What if you did that three or four times a day for two or three minutes at a time? Might make a pretty big difference. And once we know that God wants to speak to us, I think the next hurdle we have to get over is, well, isn't it some like weird mystical thing? I mean, am I going to be like Kevin Costner in Field of Dreams and all of a sudden I'm going to be walking down the street and it's like, if you build it, they will come, right? Like, that, maybe, maybe not. Maybe God wants to speak to you like that, but not always. And I think it's important that we kind of throw away that myth and say, there's some really practical ways that God wants to speak to you. Number one, through his word. That's why we always do encourage you, read your Bibles. When I was growing up in Sunday school, we learned this little song that went, read your Bible, pray every day, pray every day, pray every day. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. Stupid kid song, right? Why don't we do it? It's true. Simple things like that. God wants to speak to us. And my question is, how do, we, how do we think that we'll come to understand what God wants us to do if we don't take the time to read what God has already done? That's the importance of reading the scripture. Secondly, I think God wants to speak to us through others. God wants to speak to us through other Christian community, whether that's your, your uh, family or uh, trusted Christian friends or leaders in your life. Do you have people in your life that are willing to speak truth into you as Samuel did to Eli? Do you have people around you that are willing to speak God's truth into your life, even if you don't want to hear it? They're going to tell you what you need to hear, not just what you want to hear. And then last but not least, just through prayer, just talking to God as a two-way street, not the kind of shoot my prayers up to God and hope a couple fall back down with answers. That's not prayer. The normal way of life for God followers all throughout this book is a conversational relationship with your father. Simple, easy, normal. Not magical, not mystical, normal. Us talking to God, him talking back, and doing a lot more listening than talking. So as our story continues, the question is not just will we listen, but the second part of it that's huge is will we obey? And there's a couple different postures that we can go through our lives with, and one of them I think is the why posture, and one of them is the what posture. And we see this illustrated in the story of Eli and Samuel, but I'm wondering, do you go into most of your days with the posture of your heart going, God, why did you give me this life? <laughs> God, why did you give me this job? And maybe, to be honest, God, why am I still in this relationship? God, why are things the way they are? Why haven't you provided? Why, 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 why? That's one posture. The other posture is the what posture, and it's this. God, what do you have to teach me today? I know my life is messy. I know that not everything is perfect and put together in my life but what might you want to teach me today? God, what do you want to teach me in this conversation? God, what do you want to teach me about myself in this relationship or in this meeting? You see the difference? The why posture goes into each day like this. The what posture goes into each day like this. Open, 
receptive. I mean, I don't know if you've ever looked around during worship and there's some really crazy, wacky Christians here that like raise their hands and stuff. I know, it's weird. We're Lutheran, we're getting there, okay? So I don't know if you ever look around and there's some people that are like doing one of these or like this or maybe like the full touchdown or I don't know, I don't know what they're doing around you, but do you know what they're doing? They're not like airing out their pits or like waiting for something to fall, right? You know what they're doing? They're just saying, God, this is an outward expression of the inward posture of my heart. I'm here in worship not to consume and just get what I want. God, I am here first and foremost at worship every single week to receive from you. Whether it's in worship or whether I actually say something that makes sense some week or just reading scripture or talking to somebody before or after worship. God, this is, this is how I'm coming in those doors every week. I'm just open. And what if we did that every single day? What if you walked into work every single day with a what posture instead of a why posture? So, as we start to hear God's voice, then like I said, the most important thing is, then will we obey? And that's where our story continues. Unfortunately for the Israelites, they don't respond the way to Samuel that Eli responds to Samuel. They respond with defensiveness and anger. So Samuel, the little boy, grows up to be a big boy, and he grows up to be a man and a priest, to follow in the footsteps of Eli. And as we're reading along, uh, there's these summary paragraphs, and hopefully you're reading at home, like the top of page 135 here, there's this kind of italic area. That just helps move the story along and summarizes things for you. So I want to read that for you. It's on the top of page 135. Meanwhile, Samuel insisted that the Israelites stop worshiping pagan deities and return to the true God. He led the people in successfully subduing the Philistines, but the people stubbornly thought that having a king like everybody else would solve their leadership problems. Do you see what's happening here? The Israelites are going to God with the posture of, no, I think we can figure it out ourselves. No, we can do better with a king of our own. But that's never the way that it was supposed to be. The Israelites are missing the whole point, and that's what Samuel is trying to communicate with them. The original goal for God's people is that they would be a, a nation, God's people that would be set apart, and they wouldn't need a worldly king because they're worshiping and following the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So why do we need to blend in with the rest of the world when we're following God? He's our king, and he's more powerful than any golden calf or any earthly king. But instead, the Israelites say, you know what? We want what everybody else has. We just want to blend in with the rest of the world. And we're tired of waiting for you to provide God. We're going to go find our own king. And so Samuel confronts them on this. And we continue the story. We're skipping ahead to 1 Samuel chapter 8 now. So if you're following along, we're on the top of page 136. So Samuel goes and he confronts the Israelites about wanting their own king. Now watch the posture of their heart in response. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord said, listen to them and give them a king. A couple things that are happening here. Number one, this is their posture. 
No. Secondly, I hope you notice, God just gives them what they want. God doesn't play games with our sin. God doesn't say, oh, no, we're just going to mess around here. God says, fine. If you want a king, have a king. But there's going to be consequences. Parents, you know this when your kids grow up and you have to watch them make difficult decisions. I remember I was doing some things that my parents didn't want me to do in high school. And I remember having a conversation with them when suddenly when I went to college, they got really, really smart somehow. I don't know how that happened. But we were having a conversation. We were looking back on that time and my mom was just like, Jonathan, do you have any idea how much it hurt to watch you make those decisions? But we couldn't force you to obey us. We couldn't force you to love us. And we had to watch you suffer the consequences because you were free to make your own decisions. That's what being an adult means. And I think that that gives us kind of a glimpse into God's heart. As we get to this back half of the Old Testament, the Israelites are worshiping idols and they want their own king and they're turning and turning their backs on God all over again. And God says, that's fine, but I can't protect you there. And the same is true for us. God says, when you step outside my boundaries, I'm not just going to protect you. There's consequences when you step outside of my will. And that's what happens with the Israelites. They want their own king. And so in contrast that with Eli's response that says, God, I'm open to whatever, speak, even if it hurts, the Israelites say, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. What is the posture of your heart? And I think this is where it gets really practical. We got Thanksgiving coming up. Is anybody really excited about Thanksgiving? Okay, three of you are. Good. Okay. Maybe you just don't like turkey. I don't know. So Thanksgiving's coming up. And we think, oh, God just wants to speak to Bible people. God just wants to speak to great Bible characters. God just spoke thousands of years ago. He would never want to speak to me. What if he did? And what if this year when you went to Thanksgiving, whether it's at the in-law's house or those crazy in-laws are coming over to your house, what if you went into the Thanksgiving holiday this year with a what do you want to teach me attitude instead of a why is it this way attitude? Why does crazy Uncle Ed always frustrate me? Why do my parents, why does it seem like I can never please them? Why does it feel like I'm never good enough? then my green bean casserole is never good enough for my mom, right? We can get frustrated with all these little things. And when you get family dynamics working together, all these things come up from the past. But what if you went into Thanksgiving this year saying, God, who do you want me to serve? God, who in my family do you want me to love? Even though it's really hard to love them, I don't like them, but I'm going to love them. Ask him. Ask him. And see what he says. God longs to communicate with us as our father. It's a story that made this really, really come alive. As you know, we're one church, multiple locations at Hope, and I get to hang out with some of the other campus pastors. And some of you know uh, Pastor Scott and his wife, Wendy, from uh, Hope Ankeny. And uh, there they are with their six kids, and uh, Scott has informally challenged me to a contest to see uh, who can have more pastor's kids. 
We declined. We're doing one at a time. Um, but uh, anyway, the littlest one that's there in the middle that's being held by their, their oldest boy uh, in the white, her name's Saffron. And they call her Saffy. And uh, she's just a little over a year uh, old, and that is actually on her baptism day uh, a couple months ago. And she came a long way before that picture. Just a few months before that, she was abandoned, forgotten, just kind of left. And so there she was, this cute little girl from Alabama, missing a few teeth and missing her hearing. So just something didn't wire up in there. In her development as a child, she couldn't hear. Or that's so what the doctors thought. And so this was a tough call for Scott and Wendy, and so they prayed about it. And as you know, if you've ever asked God, he might ask you to do some pretty crazy things. It's not always going to be rational, like maybe build an ark or hold up your staff and the waters will part in two, like really rational things, right? So Scott and Wendy asked, God, what would you have us do? What would you have us do? And God says, what's six? You already have five. How about one more, right? His words, not mine. And so they adopt saffron. Well, a couple months into it, they find out that there is actually a procedure that you can do. It's called cochlear implants that you can do where they actually, this is crazy. I don't know how they do this. Praise God for doctors. But somehow they can get in there and tweak things and rewire things to hook up her hearing, right? It's amazing. I think it's a little bit more complicated than like hooking up your car battery or something like that. But they're doing some things in there and they say, we're going to hook this up and then you come back in a couple weeks and we'll basically flip the switch, they want to make sure everything's connected and then they'll do a procedure and then we think maybe she'll be able to hear. And so they go in and they do this and Scott just tells this incredible story. It's like they don't know what's going to happen, right? That she, you know, imagine hearing for the very first time. And so they're in there and they're, they're in the procedure room and they flip the switch or they do whatever they do and they don't know what's going to happen and, and so all of a sudden... Saffron just kind of perks up and her eyes just get really big and she just she has huge chubby cheeks. She's a little bit older than that picture now, but she's just like looking around like this and just kind of looking at everything. And you can tell something's going on in there. Now the doctors told him to keep the noise level really low. Right? You don't want to take her to like a professional sports game and just blow right. The only thing they said was just a low, deep, calm voice. And so Scott said over and over again, he just said, Hi, Saffron. Hi, Saffron. Just a really deep, you know, pastor voice. Hi, Saffron. And then almost out of nowhere, he says, she kind of is looking around, and her eyes just lock right on him. Because she heard her dad's voice. And this is the coolest part. She kind of lifts up her chubby arm and she points right at Scott. And she goes, Diddy. Diddy. And Scott's like, this is like out of a fairy tale or something. Like, this is crazy. And he goes, and then it just hit me. 
I don't know if she's ever heard herself before. And isn't it amazing that the first words that come out of her mouth, the first words that she can hear herself say are, Daddy. Oh, that it would be true for us. What if the only voice that mattered in our lives was dad, was your heavenly father. And when all the other noise and when all the other voices, the voices of your past that say you're not good enough, the voices that surround you today that say you have to be so busy and you have to fill your life with so many things and all the other people that are going to tell you who you should be, what if the only voice that mattered was daddy? And in the Gospels, Jesus teaches us to pray to God, Daddy. We cry out, Abba, Father. And I don't think anybody gets that better right now than Saffron. And so what I'd like you to do is just pull out your bulletin quick and flip it over to the back. And if you haven't filled that up, that blank space up already, I just want you to take a minute or two. And, and I don't want to just talk about this. I actually want to do something with it. A lot of times at the end of worship, I have you like write down all these things you're going to do. <laughs> I'd like to invite you to make a not-to-do list. I'd like to invite you to write some things down in your life that are causing noise. Maybe just some really simple, practical things. TV, radio, um, Facebook, <laughs> Right? There can be heart noise, too. Clutter. What are some things in your life, what are some things in your normal routine and your schedule that just need to go? Even just for a short time, what are those things that are going to declutter your lives? So that if God did speak to you, which I believe he absolutely is, that there would be some space in your life that he could speak to you and call your name just like Scott called out Saffron and that we would respond, Daddy, that's you. Take a couple minutes and just write down what God is saying to you. So you continue to reflect on that. Don't let it be the last time that you invite God to speak to you this week. Let's stand together and pray.